Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor our horn is exalted, for our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Those are verses 14 through 18 of Psalm 89, the first 18 verses of which are appointed as the psalm for today, Monday, June the 21st, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing our study in the books of 1 Samuel, Acts, and the Gospel according to Luke. So we're continuing the story uh, that we began last week, and that's the story of, um, of Samuel and how Samuel became judge, the final judge prior to the kings of Israel. And so remember that that Samuel the boy was given a word um, by the Lord. The Lord called him and spoke to him in the middle of the night and told him that the judgment that he had decreed earlier through a man of God who came and spoke to Eli, that his house had been rejected forever, was about to become reality. And the sign for Eli that everything else God promised as far as judgment's concerned would happen would be that his sons would die the same day. And so what we saw on Saturday's reading is is that the, the Israelites were in battle against the Philistines, and it wasn't going well, so they sent for the Ark of the Covenant, and Hophni and Phinehas, the uh, sons of Eli, accompanied the Ark to the battle. And, and in doing so, they treated the Ark as though it were some sort of a good luck charm or a talisman that was going to change things and, and win the day for the Israelites. But... God didn't command it. The military commanders requested it, and Hophni and Phinehas were happy to provide the ark. And so they came, and, well, they lost and were routed, actually. The first day was 4,000 men lost. The second day after they brought the ark, there were 30,000 men lost, including both Hophni and Phinehas. So now the Philistines have the ark. So they take it to their capital city. They take it to Ashdod and uh, set it up before their god, which is called Dagon, and so they set it up there, and the, the people got up early the next day. And what they found was that their god, Ash, uh, Dagon, had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. What does that posture sound like? Face down before the Ark of the Lord. It sounds to me like a worshipful posture. So their god seems to be worshiping the god of the Israelites. So they set their god back up, which is an odd thing to say, to say the least, if your God has to be set back up and is, is just a piece of wood or whatever sculpture of some sort, then what kind of God do you actually have? And so they set the God back up, and the next day they get up, and they go back in, in to see what's going on. And you can probably guess there's a larger crowd at that point in time. So they come in, and what do they find? They find, again, their God, Dagon, laying on the ground before the Ark of God, with a difference this time, and that is that his hands and his head are broken off. So it, it did damage to the God this time, and, and they're lying on the threshold. And so after that, this shows you that this is not worship, it's just superstition. What they did was they avoided stepping on the threshold of their God Dagon because that's where his head and his hands were. So for, for forever after that, they avoided stepping on the threshold because it was somehow made holy, which is very bizarre because what it seems to be is, hey, wait, this is kind of like what happened in Egypt, right? Um, it, it's sort of like that. In fact, they're going to say that in a couple of minutes. But they, they say, oh, we got to get that, get that God out of here because he's, what, greater than your God? I mean, you know, that's that exactly what's being said here. And so the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory, so the surrounding area around it. And, and the 
goofy thing is is that that word for tumors can actually be translated as hemorrhoids. We're not sure that that's what it refers to, but that certainly is. It, it makes for a humorous interpretation of the of the entire scene here. And so other people have suggested this is like um, buboes, so which would lead you to say, oh, it's the bubonic plague. And one of the reasons they say that is later we'll see this in the next couple of days that they send. Uh, they decided that this god must be appeased, and so they give it a guilt offering. And so you'll see in a, why people suggest that it might be that it's bubonic plague that's that's uh, happening here and not hemorrhoids. And so they, they're afraid, he's terrified, and say the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God and, and, and has destroyed Dagon our God. In fact, um, maybe a better idea would have been to join Dagon in worshiping this God. So then they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, what do we do with the Ark of Israel? And they said, oh, let it be brought around to Gath. That's the second major city. <laughs> it's where Goliath happens to be from. So they brought the Ark of God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of that city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. That's another reason why we don't think it's hemorrhoids necessarily. So they sent the Ark of God to Ekron. I mean, this thing is causing havoc with everybody who has it. They didn't worship it. They feared it, but they didn't worship it. So they sent the Ark of God to Ekron, but as soon as the, God, the Ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, Hey, they brought around to us the Ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. No, get that thing out of here. We do not want it here. They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of God to Israel and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who didn't die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. It doesn't say it was heard, just as it went up to heaven. So, what's the problem here? This is what... God did. They were, this is a plague, right? And you've seen that word plague before. That word plague describes what happened in Egypt. And the Egyptians didn't worship that God either. They feared that God and sent it away. It, it, it's an odd response, except for it's what people do. It's exactly what happens when Jesus goes to the land of the Gerasenes and heals the demoniac. What do they do at the end of that story? They beg Jesus to leave. They were afraid of the power that he had, and they assumed that that meant their judgment, his judgment would always be against them. No, it's a witness to the God of the Israelites. It doesn't mean that you can't worship it too, except you've got your own God, and you're already attached to that, and you're not willing to give it up in spite of the fact that it's been proven that your God is a weakling. It is no God at all. If your God can be defeated by another God, then it can't properly be called a God if that other thing is a God too. So what they thought they had won in battle, what they had thought they had proven was that their god Dagon was greater than the god of the Israelites. And the reason they would believe that is because they brought the ark to the battle. And so they've concluded that their god is more powerful than the god of the Israelites. No, that's not what's going on at all. You've misunderstood the entire situation. There is judgment falling on Israel. But that doesn't mean that your God is greater. No, what it proves is is that their God must be mad at them. 
and their God is more powerful than our God. Judgment, I'm telling you, it's the same thing I told you on Saturday, is that people are willing to look the other way, and they're willing to come up with alternative explanations for what's actually going on, and that's what they're going to do all through the book of the Revelation. People won't turn to him. They just have fear. But they never think that judgment is on them. So here in the gospel, according to Luke, that Jesus tells the parable of the fig tree. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. In fact, as soon as they come out in leaf, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. You don't need a meteorologist to be able to know that. You can see the signs for yourselves and interpret them, and nobody gets those signs wrong. So also, when you see these things taking place, the things that he had talked about on Saturday, the wars and rumors of wars and uh, darkness in the heavens and all that kind of stuff, you know the kingdom of God is near when you see these things. Simple, right? Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So they're going to see the destruction of the temple. That's the beginning of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. It's the beginning of God's judgment, beginning at the house of God. And going forward from there. He says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And it's the same message Jesus has preached again and again and again to everybody. This is that I'm going away, but I am coming back. And so you need to stay awake. You need to be prepared for the return. You don't want to be caught unaware. You don't want to be caught in the midst of sin. You want to be caught doing the work that you've been given to do. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So we're, we're constantly being told to stay awake, to stay in the faith, to stay at the work and busy at the work that we've been given to do, which is what? It's the work of evangelism. It's about the making of disciples. That's the work we've been given to do. Is that what we're busy at, or are we spending our time doing other things? Are we in denial that he could come today? And so what would he find us up to if he came back today? That's the point that he's making there is the judgment's real. Be ready for it. Just be prepared. Just be about the work that you've been given to do, which is to make disciples, including yourself. So... In Acts, what you see is, is, is that God's moving, and then they've healed the man at the beautiful gate. That happened in, on Sunday when we don't do the daily podcast, but that would have been the reading for Sunday. It would have been when they healed the man at the beautiful gate, and then they're called before the tribunal, the Sanhedrin, and, and told, stop preaching and healing in that name. And, and they say, no, you've got to be kidding, right? There's no other name given under heaven by which a man might be saved. And so they're going to proclaim things in the name of Jesus. They're going to continue to do that in spite of the fact that the Jewish leadership has told them to stop it. They're not afraid of him anymore because they love Jesus more and they know that, that there's nothing to fear with these men. They don't have ultimate power and the reason they know that is because Jesus came back from the dead and then he poured out the Spirit on all flesh. And so... Now what we see is shortly after that, many signs and wonders were regularly done around among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, listen to this, multitudes of men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. 
And the people gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with clean spirit, unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Sort of the different kind of an atmosphere than, than existed in the land of the Philistines with the Ark of the Lord. There's great power there, but what does it leave behind in its wake? If you're not worshiping it, if you're not believing in it, it well, it leaves behind tumors. Here, what happens? Healing. Wholeness. People being delivered from unclean spirits. I mean, it's, it's a pretty simple thing. Faith is the answer. If fear doesn't become faith, then it was useless. You missed the point of observing a great God and the things that he does. If, you, if it doesn't become faith and it stays at fear, then you completely miss the point. So, in spite of all this, the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles and put them into the public prison. Well, Jesus kind of said, you're going to be arrested and thrown into prison, right? But don't worry about what to say, because the Spirit will tell you. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. I mean, they'd just been thrown out of there and thrown into prison. But they'd also been let out of prison. And so what they feared was the thing they had faith in. And so they were no longer in fear of this body of people. And so they were bold, and they went and stood in the temple. I mean, I think sometimes what happens is, is that if we stand up under persecution, we get an extraordinary boldness that we don't get any other way. Well, it's time for the church to be bold. It's time for the church not to bow down to the pressure of, of saying whatever we're told to say like they did in Nazi Germany. No, it's, it's time to stand up and preach the truth of the gospel and that there's one way to the Father. And if you want to participate in eternal life, you've got to believe in his son, Jesus. And that truth is truth, and you can't bend the truth and make it truth. It becomes a lie as soon as you bent it. And that all men are equal. There's no preferred group. No, under the gospel, all things are made new. There's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, Paul says. So let's do away with those distinctions in the church and, and say, all right, we're all the same. We are all the same under God. We are not loved any more or less because of what we are. It's because of who we are in Christ Jesus, because we are all believers. So the high priest comes now, and those who are with him, they called together the council, all the senators of the people of Israel, and sent to the prisons to have them brought. But when the officers came, they didn't find them into prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked, and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not with force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Rightfully so. Those people saw... The power of God in these men teaching in the temple here. And so they knew that the people had come to believe. And so they coerced them in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Although it might have just been, hey, can you come with us? Because the disciples seem ready to go. They seem ready for a fight. Ready to stand before this group and proclaim Jesus as well. So how do we react 
when God's among us? Are, are, are we so fearful that we don't have faith? Have we seen in our own lives, and do we believe that he is indeed greater than the gods of this world, whatever those gods may be in your life, whatever it is you may be afraid of, whatever it is you worship, have those things been exposed in your sight by the God that we worship as Yahweh, as Son Jesus Christ? The resurrection from the dead is a powerful and terrifying symbol of who he is. That witness that he is the only one who has ever been raised from the dead in all of human history should at first terrify you. What kind of man is this that he's resurrected from the dead? And then it should cause you to fall at his feet as though dead and worship him. And then rise up and serve him in love. That's the movement that we're intended to make in our lives with respect to Jesus and with respect to our own lives. Let us this day commit ourselves to the work that he's given us to do.